A few years ago, uh, there was this internet trend uh, challenge video thing where parents were supposed to take a video of their toddlers, their young kids. And uh, the way it worked was you were supposed to set up your video camera and record them. Kids didn't know. And you set a bowl of candy right in front of them. Right? Anybody see any of these videos? Okay. And so you set this bowl of candy right in front of them, whatever their treat may be, whatever is like kind of forbidden fruit. And then what you tell them is, hey, I got to go outside or I got to go to the back. I'll be right back. Don't eat it. Okay? You can have some when I come back. Don't eat it when I leave. You can have it when I come back. And then parents were supposed to walk away, go to the back room, wait five minutes, and then come back and see what happened on the video. Now, you can picture this, and you know what happened in the video without me even showing you a video this morning. I don't, I don't have one. We did this with our kids. What do you think happened? The kids ate the candy <laughs> almost to a T. There's a few goody-two-shoe kids uh, that were trying to impress and were getting on to their siblings for eating when they shouldn't have. But almost to a person, the kids ate. Why? Why? Why did they eat? Because there's no accountability. Little do they know they're being video recorded for Facebook to see. Uh, they were totally free at that moment to do what they wanted. And left to themselves, what did they choose? They chose themselves. They didn't choose to listen. They chose themselves. And, and they're, they're funny, lighthearted videos. So if you want to make one this week, please tag me in it. I like to laugh. Um, these kids had no perspective. In that moment, they had no perspective except there's a bowl of candy right in front of me and my parents aren't watching. They have no perspective of where their parents are, what their parents are doing, and they give in to their personal desires. Today in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is going to turn his teaching towards his second coming. Right? He hasn't left yet. He hasn't even really talked about his death, burial, and resurrection, and all that. He's already preparing them for his second coming. He's preparing them for the day um, that he is going to come back. Why? Because it's a lot like the little kids and the parent. He's trying to give them perspective of this is how this all is going to end. I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared for how this is going to end. And that's, that's the point today, is that we are meant to be ready. We're meant to be ready at Christ's second coming. Um, and we're going to talk about what that means. We're meant to be ready so that we will be found as faithful stewards when he comes back. Now, sometimes when we talk about the second coming of Jesus, it, it seems really far-fetched. If you really think about it, it's been 2,000 years and we're still talking about him coming again, like we sound a little bit crazy to someone who doesn't believe the Bible, someone who doesn't really believe what this, what happened is really true. But if we believe that everything that was prophesied then came true in Jesus and, and all the things that God has done throughout human history, we have to believe the end that says that one day Jesus will return. And I don't know that we talk about the second coming a whole lot, but Scripture is clear that one day Jesus will return, and his return is the end. His return is the, 
the end point of human history, the end point of redemptive history, and he will be the one who divides those, right? This is, this is great news for some, and this is Jesus is going to return. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35, all the way to 48. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us, the disciples, or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but who did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of, much, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning that as we study your word, I pray that you would, one, just give me the words to say, God. I pray that you would, uh, speak through me, not as my words, God, but as as yours. And I pray that uh, we would see your words in Scripture and we would hear them and we would be those who obey and live according to them. God, I pray that we would be people that are ready for your return. We would not be those who fear or uh, worry about that, God, but that we would be excited and in anticipation, God. God, I pray that you would um, teach us how to live ready. Um, so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 35. He starts and he says, uh, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And Jesus is going to use at least kind of four pictures to describe one truth. And the truth is what? Stay ready. Jesus is coming. So first, he says, stay dressed. So the first picture Jesus uses to teach is that of clothing. We're to stay dressed for action. The phrase literally means to gird up your loins. Anybody familiar with that phrase, gird up your loins? Anybody use that this week? No? Okay. Probably for good reason. Please don't, kids. Use that carefully. Um, 
This phrase means nothing to us today, but in their time when they wore these long robes and these, these clothes with a lot of extra material, in order for them to work, in order for them to run, in order for them to fight, they use this phrase to gird up their loins, to take all that excess material around their legs and their waist and tie it up so that their legs are free to move so that they're ready to, to move forward, so that they're, they're nimble, right? And they're, they're in an athletic position. They're not tangled up and tripped up by their clothes. This phrase was also used when they were at the Passover in Exodus, that they were to eat their meal with their loins girded, right? Which was not normal. It wasn't normal to eat. If you're eating, you're sitting down and you're resting, but he says at the Passover, you are to stay ready for action. You're to gird up your loins. Why? Because they're about to move quickly. Their salvation is coming, and it's going to happen quick, and they need to be ready. And so we're told to stay dressed for action, ready. We're to be ready for Christ's return. That means we're not lazy. <laughs> it means we're not uh, forgetful and just just laid out all comfortable in our Christian life, right? There's, there's a picture here that we are so easily wrapped up, entangled by all kinds of other things, and the point he's making is, no, 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 you need to be ready, ready to move, ready to see the Lord's salvation. So that's the first picture, gird up your loins, stay dressed for action. The second picture he uses is to keep your lamps burning, the second picture is of a lamp, and we don't, uh, anybody have any oil lamps in their house they burn this week? No, right? But, but they often use oil lamps. So when he says to keep your lamps burning, what does that mean? You've got to pay attention to it because it runs out of oil. The wick gets too short. You've got to restock it so that what? Light is available, right? That's the reason for keeping your lamp stocked. And if, we're, if, we're, if we get lazy, then what happens? Our lamp goes out. And then we've got we've to start it again. And we've got to get more oil. And then we're behind, right? We're not ready to see. So this picture, though, is of light. That light is who we're supposed to be. We're meant to be the light of the world, right? We're meant to shine the light of Jesus. And if we're not keeping our lamps burning then it's a, a picture of that we're falling into darkness. And so staying ready is not just, um, it, it's about how we live our life as Christians. That we're living as those who are pro proclaiming the truth of Jesus with our lives. And so Jesus is saying, you need to make sure that you're, you're staying in the light, you're living in the light, and you're giving off the light, Right? And so we need to watch how we're living. Look at the next verse, 36. 36 through 38. He says, And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So he tells us the third picture that Jesus is using to teach us to be ready uh, for the second coming is that of servants waiting for their master to come home from his weddings. Now, anybody been to a wedding in America lately? 
they tend to start at a certain time, right? And they last about maybe 30 minutes if the preacher's long-winded, right? And then if you go to the reception, maybe you're spending three hours if you're really dedicated to the cause or you really like to dance, right? Maybe three and a half hours is the commitment. Maybe five if you add in the dress and travel and all that sort of stuff. Weddings in their time were totally different. They were days-long affairs. They had no real set start time. They started when they started, and they had no set end time. They ended when they ended. All right? This is my worst nightmare. And so for the arrival for the picture is that of a master who's getting married, and he's got servants at home who are waiting on him. They have no idea when he's coming back. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be the next day. We don't really know. We know he'll come back eventually. And so the picture is that these servants were to stay ready at all times so that they could welcome him home, so they could celebrate together. And Jesus says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. What's the temptation for them? Yeah, there it is, the snore. Yeah, I didn't expect sound effects this morning. The temptation for them is to sleep, is to fall asleep, to totally ignore their responsibilities, to to totally um, zone out and, and lose attention to what really mattered to their job. And, and, and that's the same temptation for us. We are so prone to fall asleep spiritually. We're prone to just go, man, it's just, it's just so warm and comfy in here. It's just, it's just so good. I'm just going to take a little rest. There's nothing important right now. And it's so imperative that these servants were to stay ready. Why? Because when he comes and he finds them, what does it say? He's going to be overjoyed that these servants were doing what he called them to do. Now, it's interesting because it says in uh, verse uh, 37, once he finds, comes home and he finds them awake, what does he say? It says, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at the table and he will come and serve them. It's a total reversal of what you would expect. The the servants are there ready and waiting on the master to come so they can serve him, so they can celebrate with him and have him enjoy this meal. And what 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 does Jesus say? No, no, no. The master is eager to find them being faithful so that when he gets there, they can recline at the table and he can serve them. What is Jesus talking about? He's not talking about a literal master and a literal wedding banquet. What's he talking about? The end. When Jesus comes again, in Revelation it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb, the great banquet where we, those who have been redeemed, those who have been saved, will sit around and the Lord will serve us and we will celebrate all that he has done, right? This is a picture of the end of all time. And so we must stay ready for that day. We must stay ready. Look at verse 39. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the fourth picture Jesus uses to teach our readiness is that. Excuse me is that of thieves robbing a house. 
Now, when do thieves rob houses? I don't know, right? And that's the point. They rob it when it's convenient, when it, when it, makes, when it makes sense, when they're not going to get caught, when there's not going to be uh, a, someone standing in the way. And the obvious point that Jesus is making is if, if we know when thieves are coming, we'll be there. We'll be ready. We'll be waiting. We'll stop them, right? Their, their attack will be thwarted, right? Jesus makes this point, right? And he says that you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, he's not calling the Son of Man a thief, right? That's not what he's doing here. But he's using that picture to describe two truths. One, the Son of Man, Jesus, will return. And two, it's going to be at an hour you do not expect. The Son of Man will return. That's the first truth. And now there's, there's two traps with each of these truths, right? The first is true. The Son of Man is going to come. But there's a trap that we can fall into very easily. We can deny this truth. And we, get, we can get lulled to sleep. Or we can, we can become forgetful. And we can think, nah, Jesus is not coming back. It's been 2,000 years. It's just, there's, there's no reasonable explanation for this. Like, this doesn't make any sense. And we can get lulled into this trap. And that's why Jesus reminds us of this truth. What matters in life is being ready for the return of the master. And if we fall into this trap, then we think that what matters in life is to eat, drink, and be merry. Just like we talked about last week. We, we turn everything back towards us, that this is really about me and what I get out of life. And he's saying, no, 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 you're the servant. You need to stay ready for the master who will return. So that's the first truth. The Son of Man will return. The second truth is it will be at an hour unexpected. The other trap that some have fallen into is to spend lots of time trying to figure out exactly when and where Jesus is returning. Many people have done all kinds of biblical gymnastics and advanced calculus work on the New Testament and numerology and all this stuff to say it's going to be April 20th, 1973, right? It's going to be in this place on this date. And let me just tell you, it is stated very clearly in Scripture this, that no one knows the time or the hour. And so let me just say this. Somebody tells you a date, run, run. You can be sure of one thing. It will not be that date, be lots of other dates, but it will not be that date. Why? Because no one knows the hour. It is coming at an hour you do not expect. When Jesus returns, the point of this is that we're to stay ready. It's too late to install a security system once a thief attacks. It's too late. You've missed the opportunity to be ready. And the point of this is teaching us how we are to live as Christians, and it's to Ready. And I think that means two things. First, being ready as Christians means, one, salvation. Right? How can you be ready for the day of the Lord when Jesus returns? You can have a relationship with him. Jesus has made it very clear how this all will end. He will come and he will divide the goats from the sheep. He will draw a line those who are with him and those who are against him. There is no other option at that time. And so how can we be ready for that day? We can be on his side. It becomes a day that is not frightful or fearful. 
And so first, being ready means that we have salvation. But readiness also means, and we we can see this in what he talks about, it means not just salvation, but sanctification. And that's a $5 word for you this morning. But sanctification means that we're growing in godliness. We're looking more and more like Jesus, right? This is the Christian life. We don't believe that you just make a decision for the Lord and then you just live your life however you want. No, the fruit of the root that's established at salvation is a life of godliness, a life of Christ-likeness. And we're meant to stay ready in that way too. We're meant to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're meant to have our minds transformed from thinking like the world to thinking like Christ. Christianity is not just an easy believism that, man, I just need to just square things away with the man upstairs and then I'm good, I'm ready. No, those who have a relationship with God will continue and look more and more like the Son. And so Jesus is making a huge statement here. He's drawing a line in the sand and he's telling them, get ready, I'm coming. Look at verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Peter wants to know, Jesus, are you, are you talking to us as disciples or are you telling everybody? I love when people ask Jesus questions because he never answers. <laughs> he just doesn't. He just refuses to give in to your question. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you whether you like it or not. And Jesus tells him a parable to answer his question about the parable, right? And Jesus says, In his parable, he labels those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. And so who is this for? It's for everybody. We all fall in one of those camps. And so Jesus first, he talks about this. He says, who is this faithful and wise manager that that he will set over his household? Well, it's the one who's doing what his master told him to do when he comes. So he's, he's talking about Christians, those who are saved, those who are believers, He calls them faithful and wise managers. Uh, Don't think manager like your your boss, Uh, although that's, that's a partially good example. What is a manager at a business? They've been given responsibility to oversee the business for the owner, right? The manager is taking care of things on behalf of the owner. The other word we use to describe this in, in Scripture is steward, We are stewards, right? We've been given something, and we're to take care of it on behalf of the one who gave it to us, the owner, right? And he says that he describes us as faithful and wise managers, believers in Christ. And so what he's saying is God has given us many things, God has given us money, God's given us time, God's given us possessions, God's given us influence, God's given us talents and skills and businesses and families and relationships. He's given us all kinds of things as Christians, and he's given them to us as stewards, as managers. They're ours, we hold them, but they're meant to be used for who? For him, 
for his glory. This is why we talked about last week on money and giving. This man directed everything back towards himself. And Jesus calls him the rich fool. (laughs) No, we're not meant to be like the rich fool. We're meant to be good stewards, faithful stewards, doing all for his benefit and for his glory. And he says that this servant, the one who is faithful as a steward, as a manager, he said he is greatly blessed. And he says he will set him over all of his possessions. And I think this is talking about rewards in heaven. And I don't, I say that and then I immediately back away because I don't even know what that means. The New Testament talks about this in Revelation and other places that as we have lived, we will be rewarded for. And I have no concept of that and I don't care, to be honest. The, the reward of getting to heaven is Jesus. But there's going to be even more on top of that. God promises more for those of us who have lived a life as good stewards, as faithful to him, as faithful servants. So he, he tells first about the faithful ones, and then he speaks about the unfaithful ones. Look at verse 45. He says, uh, But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and to get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. And the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more." So he's talked about the faithful ones who are good stewards of what God has given. Now he he speaks about the unfaithful ones. If our mindset as people is there is no God, there is no accountability, no one knows what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm covered, this is fine. There's no consequences. We're just like the kids sitting in front of the bowl of candy. We have no perspective If we have no perspective of authority or God or uh, accountability or Jesus returning, then what will we do? He says it here. We'll live for ourselves. We'll live as if nothing is eternal. The only thing that matters is right now. And we will not be who God has called us to be. We are meant to live with a sense of urgency and a sense of awareness that God will return. His imminence is the fancy word. And if we don't have that, we will just do whatever satisfies us. Our money will all redirect back towards us. Our time will all redirect back towards us. Our talents, our possessions, all the things that we've been given as stewards will turn it towards us. We'll make it about us. We're not meant to be like these unfaithful servants who use it for their own good, for their own pleasure, all under this illusion that the the master's not returning. He's gone. We're fine. No one will ever know. And he says what will happen. The master will come when he does not expect him. And so these unfaithful servants have forgotten or they have lied to themselves enough to think that None of this matters. He's not coming back. 
And what happens when he returns? The master finds him up to no good, doing evil things. He comes at an hour that is unexpected. And he finds his servant not being obedient to who he was supposed to be. So many people live like this today. And we think, we're so tempted to think, I'm going to live however I want in my 20s or in my 30s or in my 40s or as a teen. I can do this because one day I'll just, I'll fix it all in the end. I'll, I'll make all things right and, and me and the Lord will, will figure this out in the end. And what is Jesus' point? You have no idea when that day is. You have no ability to add one hour to your life. How do you think you can predict how long you're going to live and how much time you have? He says that when he finds them, and it's graphic, when he finds them and he returns and he finds them being disobedient, I'm not going to read it again because I've already read it twice. The master is upset at what his servants are doing, what he finds them doing. And there are consequences. And these consequences are grave. Now, he, 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 he labels two different categories. Those who were kind of in charge and knew better. And he says that they will suffer a worse punishment than those who did wrong but maybe didn't know all the details, right? But they still deserved it, right? Just like there's rewards in heaven and I, I don't know, somehow there's punishment in hell that I... I don't know, and I don't want to know, right? I don't, I don't want to understand what this punishment means, what this separation from God means. But every single person who does not believe in Christ will end up in hell separated from God forever. That is the clear teaching of the New Testament over and over again. And we're so tempted today to go, man, that's just, that's old time. That's backwoods. That's so, that's so yesterday's news. No, don't, don't be like that. We, if we do that, we're just like this servant who says, the master's not returning. He's not coming today. It's maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. We're good. We can live however we want. And he tells us at the end, to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This statement is true on the positive and the negative side. For those of us who have immense access to the gospel, immense access to God's word and to biblical teaching and to godly living, there's more expected of us. Why? Because we've heard this over and over and over. Some of our friends in West Africa, they've heard it once or twice maybe. But you and I, we've been entrusted with much. There's much more expected of us. But it's also true on the other side, that if we choose not to be obedient to this, if we choose to reject this, then much will be required, right? Jesus is making a statement about our obedience, but he's also making a statement about our stewardship, of how we are to live the Christian life, and it's to be ready. We're to live ready at all times. And so, simple question today. Are we living out the will of our master, or are we living out our own personal will? 
Are we living as faithful stewards of all that God has given us? Or are we living as selfish? Are we staying ready? Or are we asleep and distracted? There's two camps today. That's it. Now, if you don't know Jesus today, maybe, maybe, maybe you've never made a commitment. Maybe you've never heard this at all. You may feel some conviction right now. Because you're looking at your life and you know in your heart of hearts, I, I am a sinner and I have broken God's law. I have rejected him time and time again. Let me tell you the good news today. You don't have to stay there. You don't. You don't have to live in this, this state of guilt. Why? Because Jesus came to die on the cross in your place. And he knows that every single one of us is the unfaithful servant. And the only way that we could be forgiven and saved and made faithful is through Jesus. He came, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And just like Eden talked about in her testimony and on the front pew last week, there is a way to be saved, and it's through Jesus. Amen? Let me pray. God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the truth of it, God, that it's not passive-aggressive or hinting at things. God, it's very clear. God, it's very clear in our face. And the question is, are we being faithful to what we've been told, or are we being unfaithful? Are we living self, selfishly? Are we living as faithful stewards, God? Are we in Christ or are we rejecting Christ? There's only two options, God. And I pray today that if somebody in the room is not in you, God, does not know salvation, has never given their life over to you, God, I pray that you would save them today. God, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, would remind them of the good news that Jesus died on the cross in their place to rescue them. And I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, we have no idea how much time we have. It may be today. It may be a hundred days. It may be a hundred years. God, may we stay ready for you and your coming, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.